Hello, my name's Mark Vernon, and welcome to this short podcast, which will tell you something about my new book, Love All That Matters. Many stories have been told about love, exploring the way it works, the way it hurts, its delight, and its promise. My book tries to tell the tale so as to bring together psychology and myth, ideas philosophers have had about love, and experiences that people like you and I have of love. It's the story of love as love emerges across the course of a human life. The working thesis is that this happens in broadly three stages. At each stage, a different capacity for love becomes possible, one deeper and more expansive than what has been previously known. However, the transition between each mode is painful because it requires a letting go of the security that comes with the former familiar love. A life will tend to go well, an individual will be more likely to flourish, if they can wisely utilise and spontaneously enjoy each kind of love. Conversely, things will tend to become stuck and troubled, perhaps seriously damaged, when a to-and-fro movement between these loves is blocked. The three loves begin with self-love, or to give it its seemingly darker, more technical name, narcissism. In life, this is our first love, as the evidence is that it's the kind of love with which we're born. On the whole, it serves us well, because it ensures we survive. It selfishly demands the nourishment and security, both physical and psychological, that the newborn child needs. However, there is a downside. Narcissism has little or no appreciation that other human beings exist as separate entities in the world. So, unless it is transcended, this love leaves us lonely and isolated, worried by the existence of others and untrusting of life. We must love ourselves, but in such a way that we can get over ourselves and be comfortable in our own skin. Then, narcissism serves us well, because it means we can embrace a world apart from ourselves. That leads to the second kind of love, the love that discovers there's another person in the world, and this person is both lovable and returns love. Typically, it is thought that it begins to dawn on the very young child that it has a mother or father, a primary carer, who is devoted to it. The infant is encouraged in play to explore the little intimacies that this other person longs to share, and it develops the capacity for a healthy attachment to this other. The bodily warmth of their twosome nurtures in it the wonderful realisation that the child is not alone. The child grows in love, develops a stronger sense of itself through this relationship, and all being well, lays down capacities that will serve it well when, as a young adult, It falls in love and discovers once more that there is another person who might love them and whom they might love. The second love supports a happy state of affairs on the whole, one that might be thought of as the pinnacle of love, particularly in its grown-up form, romantic love. But, in fact, it's a crucial part of the story that I'm trying to tell in my book that this is not the end of love. It's a mistake to think that it is. Left in that phase... Romantic love is as limited and limiting as self-love. The two lovers are stranded, as it were, struggling to find fulfilment in each other, when in truth, 
fulfillment for human beings requires far more than love focused on just one other person. So the individual must make another transition, which again is difficult. However, if once more it navigates the shift well enough, a third, even more tremendous experience of love comes into view. It is the love that can welcome a third dimension into its embrace. It is the most expansive and open, and with it the individual can throw him or herself wholeheartedly into life. The first experience of this third love is likely to occur when the now not quite so young child realises mother or father has other interests and loves, not least the individual that they relate to as their beloved. That comes as a shock to the child. Although he or she may then sense that dad loves him or her as well as mum, and that their threesome enables all kinds of experiences that were inconceivable before, one of the most astonishing is when the child notices that it can observe two others loving as he or she watches on, which leads to the sense that he or she too is being watched, internalised, this is the basis for self-awareness and self-consciousness, a mindfulness of life, and the sense that the centre of life is not focused on me or between me and another, but is dispersed throughout fields or networks of shared loving concern. Life is much more promising and complex and at times frightening than the infant could have possibly imagined before. But with this third love, the child, and then adult, develops the confidence and trust required to enter into mature love, and so to be a friend, pursue interests and passions, all in all to reach out into life, the life that was first tasted, though only in part, in the nursery. Again, this stage brings risks. Getting the hang of love is always tricky, and on occasion it is perhaps thwarted. But on the whole, it is worthwhile because human beings are less than human when alone. The aim is that an individual has access to this repertoire of loves, self-love, love of another, and the love of the unexpected that comes from life, and can deploy each flexibly and warmly when required. My account of love's emergence in life is shaped by contemporary developmental psychology, as well as the insights of psychotherapy. A lot of research has been gathered in the last two or three decades, focusing on aspects such as the way the child attaches to parents and the way parents are tuned to children. What is particularly exciting about this new work is that it chimes with older insights too, not least those captured in the many myths and moral stories that explore the dynamics and dangers of love. The advantage that myth has is that it speaks of real, if symbolic, characters. That brings an aliveness to the discussion, because the characters speak directly to the anxieties and hopes of our inner lives. Examining the details of a good myth is to examine possibilities for ourselves, to heed warnings and to gain insights into ways forward. Myths are brilliant guides to love, and I try to use them in my book. So it explores the dynamics of these three loves, and also has little interludes that look at particular issues to do with love, the meaning of sex, why love is so painful, and also, is love a feeling, or is it an attitude, or is it a sense? And then finally, we come to the possibility of a fourth love, an expansive love that opens our eyes perhaps even to transcendent dimensions of existence. 
It is as if we look back and see that love was flowing all along throughout life. And this is the kind of love which people of religious belief would call God. The course of love never did run smooth, the proverb says. That's only because love is as fearsome and unexpected as the gift it offers to us called life. I hope you might enjoy my new book, Love All That Matters.